Welcome to the pen and the yod. This week's Torah portion is Noah. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayim at Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about Noah's modern moral arc. Were you a Bill Cosby fan when you were growing up? <laughs> it's controversial now, too. I know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure I should be able to say that. I love the Jell-O commercials. And I'm old enough to remember the uh, before he had the, the big hit TV show when he became America's dad. I also loved Fat Albert as a kid. I'm definitely of the Fat Albert generation. Yeah. And, See, uh, I, I'm show. older than you are. Uh, and so I, I, one of my most prized possessions growing up were these Bill Cosby uh, comedy albums. You know, we'd sit there and listen to these comedy albums. Today, you know, our kids, that's a foreign concept. You know, you can go and watch any YouTube of any, any comedian, but you'd go and buy these albums and you'd take them home and you listen to them and that could be just entertainment for hours. And he had this sketch about Noah and God, Noah, you know, that God would call out to him. And I would just laugh. I just thought it was the greatest thing. But I think mo- most of us grow up with Noah being this kind of benign story, right? Burl Ives was singing about Noah and the animals coming two by two and every children's song and going into a kid's bedroom. It wasn't unusual to see a rainbow in the bedroom or animals or the ark. There's a movie a couple a few years back, a comedy about Noah, right? I can't remember the name of the movie. And it's all these kind of really kind of benign, weird stories about, well, how would you get animals on the ark and what does it mean? And yet, this story is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, how did this end up being like the cute and cuddly story? <laughs> right. Let's just leave the really horrific part where the world is destroyed and the only people left are the people on the ark and everyone else dies. Let's, we'll forget that part. Let's just get to the fun, the fun part, you know, of Noah building the ark and all the rest. Yeah, and just the cute and cuddly animals. Let's not think about the, uh, the deadly ones. Yeah, I, and yeah, and, 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 and the story I think is so remarkably relevant. Because the Bible is making a statement to us that things just don't happen in the world. I mean, imagine if we were living in the time of the ancients where we couldn't explain why there was a drought or we couldn't explain why there was a volcanic eruption or we couldn't explain why there might be, um, I don't know. Why, why California's on fire and the seas are rising all around us and the right. pandemic is of, of killing 200,000 people in, in one country alone, uh, something like that. Well, the gods must be angry. Yeah. <laughs> or we've had a hand in it. And I think that's the great truth of the story of Noah. The story of Noah is about human beings having a hand in their own destruction. And I think that's a quantum leap. If you read any of the Greek myths or something called the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is a precursor to the story of Noah, starring someone by the name of Udnapishtim, which was his name, and he's the precursor to Noah. What you find in the story is this epic tale of the cynicism of the gods who only see human beings there to serve them, their meals that would come in the form of sacrifices and things like that. There's no moral tale here. There's a tale of courage and one of the gods who has seems to have some ethical fiber, but there's nothing more. Look at the story of Noah. The people are immoral and God is responding to the evil in the world, which, by the way, didn't begin in the time of Noah. The world has been in a downward spiral 
since Cain and Abel. And so we've come to this point where God is going to destroy the world. Human beings have corrupted the world, and God won't stand for an unjust world. And so there's a reason behind the flood story, and I, and I wonder how you respond to that idea. Well, it, it's really interesting to me because I'm thinking about the debate now between those who would argue that global warming is not based on science and those who argue that the science is clear. That seems to me to connect really directly to your issue of whether we are being cynical, whether we are refusing to believe that humans could be suffering as a result of their own consequences. To me, the, the science on global warming says very clearly that we are being punished for our behavior, that we have been callous, we have been selfish, we have been neglecting the planet around us, and now we're paying for it. And is that an act of God? Is it an act of science? Is it both? But it seems to me that it correlates directly to what you're saying. Here's the crux of the story that comes right back to what you're saying. Noah is building this huge ark. He's building this huge boat and uh, something that's going to be large enough not only to carry his family, but carry all of the you know, representatives of the animal kingdom. So if we simply go with the story as it's written, it's not like he's doing this in his basement, right? It's not, it's not, he's not in his garage and going to unveil this whole thing. He's This is a big project. Yeah, this is a lot of trips to Home Depot. Exactly right. Exactly right. And there's no response by the populace to what Noah's doing. Noah doesn't go out and warn people. He's not like Jonah or anybody else who's saying, you know, if you don't wake up, the world's going to be destroyed. And by the way, Noah doesn't argue with God either. God, really, don't you want to reconsider this? He's not like Abraham. He's not like Moses. Noah says, I'm going to be okay. Fine. So we can we can look at Noah and we can make all kinds of assumptions about his moral quality. But the reality is, and this I think is the, the thing to underscore, is that the people in the time of Noah don't take notice of him. And they go about their lives and they think that he's just some eccentric guy. Like, you know, he's walking around and said the world's coming to an end. How relevant is that to our day? How do we get the message across that at the end of the day, the economy is important, but having a place to live is more important. The fact that we are reaching the highest temperatures, et cetera, et cetera. When do we look in the mirror and say, we're getting closer and closer to the point of no return? That's scary. And, um, you know, we look back at how long has it been since that Al Gore documentary? It's It's been a while now. And not only have we not sufficiently mobilized to do anything about it, we still have people who are in denial about it. And I just wonder, you know, what motivates that sense of denial other than possibly the issues of greed? Like I'd still like to be able to make money from selling automobiles that emit carbon. What else is driving that sense of denial, that refusal to accept the possibility that we're responsible for this and we need to do something about it? So is it hubris? Is it sort of the sense that, well, we're the gods of the moment and we're going to do what's good for us and we have the money and we have the power and therefore I can buy the car I want to buy or do whatever without worrying about anyone else? Or is it cognitive dissonance? Am I just not paying attention to the danger that's right before me and somehow I've convinced myself that it's not going to bite me, but you know, who cares about anybody else? How would you categorize it? I think hubris is a good place to start. I think selfishness is one of the chronic 
sins of our age, our generation, that I'll be okay. The rest of the world will have to figure it out. I live in Chicago. We don't have any high risk of high water here. My home's going to be fine. I don't have to wear a mask. You wear a mask if you want to. It's hubris and it's and it's selfishness. I feel like we're living in these strange times where the community good is almost laughed at. Like, oh yeah, right. That's for the suckers. If I don't do it, someone else will. If some, if I don't take advantage of the situation, then someone else will. It is so clear to me that this story is deadly relevant. Right? If, I, if you really thought about it, I'm not sure I'd be putting those cute animals up on my kid's wall. Right? This is a story. This is a warning. Not about Noah's time. It's about our time. And there's no guarantee that we're going to be on the right side of this. You know, there's a Haftorah. That is read, the prophetic reading comes from Isaiah. And it's interesting, the one that the rabbis chose, because there are always a, con- a connection between the prophetic reading and the Torah reading. So in this, in, in Isaiah's time, he's talking to a people that are in exile. He's talking to a people who are feeling alone and rejected. They're living in Babylonia for, for crying out loud. So what does God say? For a little while I forsook you, but with vast love I will bring you back. In slight anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with kindness everlasting I will take you back in love, says the Lord to Redeemer. Now listen to this. For this to me is like the waters of Noah. As I swore that the waters of Noah never more would flood the earth, so I swear that I will not be angry with you or rebuke you. For the mountains may move, the hills be shaken, but my loyalty will never move from you, nor my covenant of friendship be shaken. So this is really built on this kind of building a relationship with God and Israel that's built on God's promise to not destroy the world again. But nowhere in there, nowhere in the Torah and nowhere in the book of Isaiah is the notion that, okay, God might not destroy, destroy the world, but we have we have the power to do it. And God isn't going to save us from ourselves. And to me, that's just a horrifying thought. I, you, you'd sort of like to say, when does God say, hey, wake up, everybody, in that kind of Bill Cosby voice, right? Hey, wake up. What are you doing? It's like going outside and seeing kids playing with matches by kindling wood and say, hey, kids, what are you doing? You can't do that. Come on. Give me those matches. Now get in the house. And then have this television moment when you sit down and talk about the dangers of matches and you have to think about other people. No, that's not happening. God doesn't come in to save the day. There's no white horse and God coming in on this fiery chariot saying, stop what you're doing, you're going to destroy everything. No, we have to wake up to that. And that's, I think that's the most terrifying part of this is that we're dependent on human beings doing the right thing, even if it has consequences uh, for us. I mean, it may mean that we can't drive cars the way that we've been driving. It may mean that we can't use air conditioning the way we want to use it. It may mean a lot of things. But otherwise, what's our choice? Uh, that's really <laughs> depressing that we have to count on human beings to do the right thing because I'm, I'm losing faith. I may keep my faith in God, but I, my faith in human beings is really suffering these days. Uh, we have to count on people not to have gender reveal parties in the dry forest at the time of forest fires. What chance do we have? Look at those people that had that gender reveal party. They're part of something larger. You know, I'm going to take care of myself. This is what we do. And so we'll take a chance. Don't worry. Nothing's going to happen. As opposed to, I can't even think about doing this because it's possible I could put other people in danger. That whole issue comes back to Noah. Noah is the one 
who comforts God. What is it about Noah that comforts God? That he's listening. Well, say what you want to say about Noah. He does something. He goes against the tide. He listens to God. He makes a statement by his actions. Are we willing to go against God? Are we willing to make that statement? Are we willing to stand up just in our own lives, in our own families, to make a difference and go forward in a different path? That's an interesting question today. What are we willing to do as individuals to change the trajectory? How are we willing to use our votes to change the trajectory? Those are the questions. Wearing a mask to change our trajectory. Unfortunately, if the mask is our latest test, we're failing that one and we've got to do better. I hope so. I hope so because, you know, the story of this week's portion is a cautionary tale for all of us. And I'm hoping that we're listening because all of us really do have the potential of being an extension of Noah. And together, I think we can change the future. Let's hope we can. I hope so too. Thanks, Jonathan.